Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I am Dr. Peter Spiegel. World Animal Protection has released a comprehensive and pretty grim report called Wild at Heart, the Cruelty of the Exotic Pet Trade. It is part of their new Wildlife Not Pets campaign, which aims to disrupt the exotic pet trade industry. I'm pleased to welcome Ben Williamson, U.S. Programs Director at World Animal Protection. Welcome, Ben. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Ben, give us an idea of the scope of the international illegal exotic pet trade. What are we dealing with? Sure. The annual value of the wildlife trade is is around 30 to $43 billion. Uh, and a significant portion of that is live wild animals traded as, as pets. So shockingly, up to around $20 billion of this trade is, is estimated to be illegal. And a substantial proportion of that economic value is in endangered and protected species who are traded as pets. The illegal wildlife trade is the fourth most lucrative transnational crime in the world behind drugs, arms and human trafficking. And in fact, a lot of those additional crimes are funded by the trade in live wild animals for exotic pets. But really, if whether we're talking about animals who are caught from the wild or, or those who are captively bred, the exotic pet trade is inherently, cru- uh, inherently cruel and it causes lifelong suffering for the animals who are trapped in it. One element of this report that was fascinating was this undercover investigation looking at Turkish airlines. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, Our investigation revealed that Turkish Airlines and its cargo carrier have been used to illegally transport wild-caught African grey parrots on flights from uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, DRC, uh, Nigeria, and also Mali to countries in the Middle East, Western and Southern Asia. And evidence shows that these birds are being transported in stressful conditions. Uh, They suffer from injuries and also from disease. Now, over the past 18 months, Turkish Airlines and Turkish Cargo have taken public steps to appear to be concerned and committed to tackling the issue of the illegal wildlife trade. Um, they, they signed the Buckingham Palace Declaration committing to the prevention of illegal wildlife trade and animals and animal rights to raise the level of awareness. And even as recently as earlier this year, on January 15th, 2019, um, Turkish Cargo joined the Animal Transport uh, association, the ATA. And this was once again a public commitment to implement any and all rules to ensure documentation and packaging, labeling and marking um, that specified uh, strictly during the live animal transportation process. But the problem that we found is that evidence shows that Turkish Airlines is simply not honoring those public commitments. And stories continue to be reported of African grey parrots and other wild animal species like chimpanzees being seized by enforcement agencies in countries uh, all over the world um, that have flown on Turkish aircraft. So through our undercover investigation into the poaching of African grey parrots, uh, we have confirmation that three, from three separate sources who name Turkish Airlines as one of the preferred airlines for traders to use. But I am happy to report um, that uh, since we launched our campaign um, on February 4th, Turkish Airlines has now contacted us to discuss our concerns about the illegal trade. So we don't yet have a confirmed date or time to discuss further, but I hope to bring um, some some very happy news to, to your listeners in due course. Would you go into a little bit more detail about where the parrots come from, how they get to Turkish Airlines and where they go and uh, what happens to them along the way? It sounds like a lot of them just perish. 
it's, it's an inherently cruel process. Um, it involves snatching an African grey parrot out of the wild. They're often lured uh, to a sticky branch from which they can't escape. Um, their perilous journey from being caught to the time spent at a holding facility where they're held in dirty, dark facilities, they're fed inadequately, and they're left vulnerable to predators all before even making it onto the airplane. Many birds captured this way die before they're brought to the market. And if they survive this whole journey, their fate is then to be crammed into crates and onto planes. We've found that approximately 60 to 80 birds uh, in one box. Mm. And sometimes this lasts for as many as 24 hours or longer. And so post-rate capture and pre Post-capture and pre-export, mortality rates have been estimated to be as high as 70 to 90 percent in some cases. So, I mean, while populations of the African grey parrot are decreasing, they're estimated to have decreased by up to 79 percent over the past 50 years. So this is as much a a conservation issue as it is an, an animal welfare issue. What other animals are part of the illegal exotic pet trade? Asian otters are are one of the latest victims. They're a a current trendy animal um, and the subject of of massive online attention. Uh, There's a lot of social sharing of images that goes around and and ultimately purchasing by unwitting owners. Um, Reptiles are also popular. Uh, Over 55,000 Indian star tortoises were recorded to have been collected from the wild in a single year from just one of the many trade hubs used to traffic this, this animal from the wild. Um, but yeah, being bred in captivity is no less cruel. Uh, poor health and mental suffering are common amongst all animals. Uh, unlike domesticated animals, you know, the, the African grey parrots are only one or two generations away from their wild counterparts. So whether, when they're bred in captivity, they're denied the, the opportunity to learn and grow and fly like wild birds. Yeah. So whether they're wild caught or bred in captivity, um, the, they suffer from things like stress and boredom and isolation and a bad diet. And it all takes their toll on, on all animals. And we, we get it that people love animals and in today's consumer-driven culture, um, you know, they want to bring most of these animals home into their homes and they can do so in just a few clicks of a mouse pad. But all too often people do this without asking themselves, you know, is this the right thing to do for the animal? And unfortunately, love and attention just aren't sufficient requirements for exotic animals' complex needs and behaviours. And, and that's, why, that's why we're calling for an end to this, this cruel trade. Earlier, you mentioned that some of the trade was legal. Does the fact that there are legal elements and illegal elements uh, make things harder to hammer out? Yeah, um, yeah, there are legal and illegal sides to the exotic pet trade. Um, And the legislation in the United States varies state by state. Uh, Since the Wild Bird Conservation Act came into effect in 1992, it became illegal to bring wild-caught birds into the U.S., but we know it does still happen. Um, But legality doesn't really matter. Captive-bred or wild-caught, it's all cruel, and the trade is growing fast, unfortunately. Well, what our organization defines an exotic pet as a, a pet that's wild and not domesticated. So domesticated species include dogs and cats and rabbits. Uh, but it, it's simply the fact that no wild animal can have its needs met entirely when it's kept as a pet in, uh, in someone's home. There's simply no way to replicate the space and the freedom that they would have in the wild and that their, their natural characteristics demand. Yeah. Once the animals reach American shores, um, how are they distributed? How are they bartered or sold? 
Many exotic pets are traded online, we know. Uh, World Animal Protection Research found that online videos frequently influence people's decision to buy a wild animal. A full 15% of exotic pet owners surveyed found inspiration for their purchase from uh, YouTube videos, of all things. And, of course, social media is a largely unregulated marketplace. We know this. Facebook has been identified as a key online channel, which facilitates the sale of exotic pets. And although they have committed publicly to ban the trade of endangered species on their site, uh, our research shows that the company is not adequately enforcing this in practice. Um, and then, of course, exotic pet fairs and expositions, commonly referred to as expos, are, are widespread in many countries, including the U.S. And this attracts a wide variety of visitors from all over the world, uh, from seasoned owners to complete beginners, novices who know nothing about the, the needs of these animals. And our investigations and our partners' investigations highlight typically poor conditions animals are kept in, in at these large-scale events. Um, and, of course, physical pet shops continue to be able to sell exotic pet species in many markets. And this just has the effect of normalizing the sale of wild animals and feeding this misconception that it's somehow acceptable to keep these animals very far from the freedom, space and interaction and diet even that they have in their natural habitat. And, and that's really one of the misconceptions that we're fighting. Yes. So that's one of the sort of three pronged approach you are taking, changing perceptions, disrupting trade and the lobbying and uh, corporate partnership and advocacy prong. What of any of those do you want to emphasize as we conclude here? Yeah, um, as you say, we've got a three-pronged approach, changing public uh, perceptions, engaging with corporations, and working closely with international bodies. I I guess our message is really to your listeners. Please go on to worldanimalprotection.us. This campaign is by no means over. Uh, Log on to to the website and see the Turkish Airlines actions. Read about these animals and their suffering as a result of Turkish Airlines' uh, complete lack of enforcement. And have your say and sign our petition and let your voice be heard. That would be wonderful. And signing the petition, what happens with that? What is that petition for? We're taking them to Turkish Airlines. We're showing them that people all over the world, uh, this is a brand image problem that they're suffering from yeah. um, and that they're the only airline, uh, well, they're the preferred airline of these these horrible smugglers. And I think when they're presented with, with a, a whole load of petitions in their faces, they'll do the right thing and step up their enforcement policies. Well, we'll share that link on animalstodayradio.com. Ben Williamson, it's a huge undertaking, but very much appreciated and needed. We really appreciate you coming on Animals Today. Thanks for letting us have a voice for the animals. Really appreciate it. More with Animals Today after this break. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner. You're listening to Animals Today. You know, Animals Today is a project of advancing the interest of animals. Advancing the interest of animals is a nonprofit animal welfare organization. We're based here in Palm Springs, California. And if you like what we're doing, please consider donating a little bit to Advancing the Interests of Animals to support the continued production of the show. The website's aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today. And here are a few more ways to be kind to animals, beginning with this. Report suspected animal abuse or neglect. If you see an underfed dog or an animal left in a car on a hot day, report it right away. You can be saving a life. Try a vegetarian or even better, a vegan diet, even just beginning with one day a week. 
decreasing and then eliminating your consumption of animals is probably the best way to show your appreciation for them and for the environment, too. Don't buy cosmetics or household products that have been tested on animals. That's easy these days, and there are apps to guide your purchases. And finally, don't wear clothing made from animals. Say no to fur and leather, and then you can give up wool and silk as well. It's easier than you might imagine. This message is sponsored by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit us at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Welcome back. The largest frog on Earth is the Goliath frog, also known as the Goliath bullfrog, and the giant slippery frog. They are found in Cameroon and Equatorial Guinea, and they can weigh up to 17 pounds or more, and their bodies can be more than a foot in length. The world's smallest frog, discovered in Papua New Guinea, measures a mere 7 millimeters long and may be the world's smallest vertebrate. One reason I find frogs so delightful and fascinating is the huge variety they present. Now, another person who thinks a lot about frogs, a lot more than I do, I'm sure, is Matt Ellerbeck, frog advocate and conservationist. Visit him at saveallfrogs.com. Welcome, Matt. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. Matt, I know you have a number of frog issues on your mind, so let's begin with frog populations. Are they really in decline? Yes. So there's around 5,000 frog species worldwide, and of that, over 30% are listed as at risk of extinction. So that's pretty significant. Um, And then several frog species have already gone extinct. So frog populations are very much under threat. And that is why, you know, we're seeing those statuses, like those extreme endangered statuses um, being applied to them because they are experiencing such a dramatic decline. And we talk about similar issues with other species all the time. Uh, why are frogs in decline? It's really an amalgamation of several reasons. Um, the first being the loss of habitat. So essentially, you know, if a frog loses its home, its odds of survival are not very good. So places like marshes and wetlands and meadows and woodlands, too many of these natural green spaces are being destroyed for developmental construction and agriculture. Now, where good habitat does remain, it's often degraded through pollution and contaminants and pesticides and oils and gasolines and frogs being amphibians are extremely sensitive to any kind of pollution or contaminant because they don't have scales on their skin like reptiles um, or fur like mammals. They don't really have any kind of armor or protection. They just have very delicate permeable skin. So that makes them especially sensitive to those sort of substances being in their environment. And then a lot of frogs are killed on roads every year because a lot of roads crisscross between their habitats and what happens especially in the United States and Canada is a lot of the frogs um, that are breeding in the springtime they have to cross over roads to get to breeding pools and then unfortunately you have a lot of them being killed en masse and, and what's especially sad about that is that's the mature 
breeding portion of the population being killed. So not only are we losing those frogs, but because they're unable to breed because they're being killed, we're losing the next generation of frogs as well. And then another thing that happens is harvesting. So frogs are being captured from the wild to be sent off for the fishing bait trade and for food markets. And, you know, when we add all of these things up and then there's climate change and disease, it accounts for a massive number of frogs being lost every year due to these human-induced threats. So that's why our frogs are not doing very well and why so many are at risk of extinction. Okay, so populations are in decline. Matt, what cruelty issues do individual frogs face? Well, the first thing I want to mention in terms of that is that frogs are vertebrate animals, just like dogs and cats. And just like dogs and cats, they experience pain and suffering and cruelty. Unfortunately, there's that old misconception, you know, that old usage of word, wording, cold-blooded, and often people think of frogs being cold-blooded, therefore they don't feel pain. That's not true. First off, they're not cold-blooded, they're ectothermic, which just means their body temperature is reliant on the environment around them. They have to warm up or cool off via behavioral changes and, and utilizing different areas in their environment. That's all that means. So frogs are very capable of feeling pain and suffering, and unfortunately, they experience that with a lot of those trades I just talked about. So food markets, a lot of these frogs are sold live. Um, in some food markets, they skin the frogs alive and sell them that way. Like, you, like We're talking about really horrific things that happen to these poor animals. And then the bait trade, you know, frogs are sold live for fishing bait and then are, are stabbed with hooks and then tossed into the water. Now, now, say I was going on a radio program and I was talking about, you know, someone was using kittens or puppies and they were stabbing them with hooks. Like, there would be massive outrage. People would be appalled by such things. But I think because frogs being amphibians and, and there are those misconceptions about them being slow, slimy and cold and cold-blooded, you know, people are often not as sympathetic towards them. So it's important to really make those connections that, you know, the frog is is a living, breathing, vertebrate creature, just like dogs and cats and other mammals that we're more familiar with. And just like those animals, they are experiencing a lot of cruelty from these trades that are exploiting them. So not only do these trades are affecting their numbers in the wild and are a serious conservation concern, but it is also a very, very concerning matter in terms of animal cruelty. Like, you know, like I said, we're literally, you know, there's trade set up where anglers are, you know, using frogs en masse and then stabbing them with hooks while they're still alive. So, and not only is that cruel to the frog, and not only do those bait trades deplete wild populations, but it also spreads disease too. Like frog populations are crashing because of um, two diseases in particular, ranavirus and chytrid fungus. And say they catch a batch of frogs and then ship them a hundred miles away, and you 
to an area where the environment is healthy and disease-free, and then you have a diseased animal, and then it's cast into that wetland, then it's just spread those diseases around to previously unaffected areas. So you can get a pretty good idea how through those um, the shipping and unnatural movement of animals via these trades, how those diseases can be spread very, very quickly and, and to all these other places. So the bait trade and the, the trade of animals for dissections and food markets, these are all really triple-pronged threats. There are conservation concerns, there are cruelty concerns, and there are concern in terms of spreading the amphibian diseases to other areas. So those three in particular are very, very damaging. We are speaking with Matt Ellerbeck, frog advocate and conservationist. The website is saveallfrogs.com. And Matt... We are going to continue this discussion because we're just scratching the surface here in an upcoming segment, and we'll look forward to speaking to you real soon. Sounds great. Stick around more with Animals Today after the break. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today. And here are a few more ways to be kind to animals, beginning with this. Report suspected animal abuse or neglect. If you see an underfed dog or an animal left in a car on a hot day, report it right away. You can be saving a life. Try a vegetarian or even better, a vegan diet, even just beginning with one day a week. Decreasing and then eliminating your consumption of animals is probably the best way to show your appreciation for them and for the environment, too. Don't buy cosmetics or household products that have been tested on animals. That's easy these days, and there are apps to guide your purchases. And finally, don't wear clothing made from animals. Say no to fur and leather, and then you can give up wool and silk as well. It's easier than you might imagine. This message is sponsored by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit us at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. back to the show. The Animal Legal Defense Fund has just released its 2018 U.S. Animal Protection Laws Rankings Report. ALDF has been surveying the 50 states and U.S. territories since 2006, and it has become a valuable tool for lawmakers, animal advocates, and anyone concerned about animals around the country. To present the results today, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the show Diane Balkin, who serves as Senior Staff Attorney for Animal Legal Defense Fund's Criminal Justice Program. Diane is a nationally ranked lecturer on animal cruelty investigations and prosecutions with a strong emphasis on training veterinarians. Great to have you back on the show, Diane. Thank you, Dr. Laurie, for inviting me back. Diane, please explain what this report is and why ALDF does this work every year. The Animal Legal Defense Fund every year ranks each state according to their animal cruelty laws and how they relate to other states' provisions. And we are able, therefore, to set forth who are the best five states, who are the worst five states, and where are the states in the middle. Mm -hmm. This allows legislators and just the average citizen to understand how their laws are written, where they stand, and how they could be improved. Now, I know you've tried to keep the survey consistent year to year so you can better see trends over time, but this year the survey adds a few new categories. Can you tell us about those? 
Yes, we added five new categories this year, which improves our methodology. Number one, we are looking more closely at the actual definition of, quote, animal, end quote, in order to determine which animals are protected by the state's cruelty laws. We want to make sure that there is inclusion for large animals, small animals, wildlife, factory farms, etc., if at all possible. Secondly, we are looking at what we call the courtroom animal advocate programs. We are hoping that each state will become aware of laws that have been enacted in a couple of states that allow a judge to appoint an advocate to appear in court in the interests of justice and hopefully in the interests of the animal. Mm. So it's um, similar to what a guardian ad litem would be for a child, but sometimes the animal is the forgotten party in a proceeding. So this would allow the judge to appoint someone to fulfill that role. Great. The third area is uh, animals in hot cars, and sometimes the laws also include at-risk humans or children. We want to make sure that each state recognizes the significance and the deadly consequences that could result from an animal being left unattended in a hot car. And these um, particular pieces of legislation we often call Good Samaritan laws because we want the ability for not only law enforcement but civilians to be able to break into a car to rescue an animal or a human that is at risk. And of course, these laws carry definitive guidelines under which a person or law enforcement officer could do so. The fourth area is civil nuisance abatement. Sometimes we find that law enforcement uh, prosecutors or police don't have the bandwidth or don't actually enforce animal cruelty laws, so these civil abatement uh, proceedings allow a civilian who believes that a neighbor, for example, is systematically abusing an animal or animals on their property or has a puppy bill next door. And if law enforcement and the police don't enforce nuisance statutes, then the civilian can take action, him or herself, by bringing a cause of action to abate this nuisance, the nuisance being the illegal treatment of animals. And lastly, the final category we added this year was breed-specific legislation. What this is designed to address is what we used to call pit bull bans. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to make sure that no state or city or county enacts a ban that would prohibit any particular breed. The theory is that there really is no bad breed, and we look towards state legislation to try to prohibit or preclude these types of laws from being enacted. Now, these five categories go um, in connection with the other previously established categories and methodology we have used over the past several years. Right. Thanks for explaining all that. That was very helpful. The report also notes a new and important legal trend, and that is possession bans whereby courts can restrict convicted animal abusers from owning or living with an animal. Please tell us a little bit about possession bans. Yeah, we are seeing a definite trend in this area where courts and prosecutors are recognizing that we need to put a ban on future animal ownership for certain people convicted of animal cruelty. This is a way to ensure that no animal 
will be in harm's way uh, and be able to be put in a position of being harmed or killed by someone who's been previously convicted of animal cruelty. Right. So we we want to um, avoid them being, the offender being able to be in contact with her own animal. That's great. For, 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 for a period of time. Right. Diane, now let's get into some of the results. What okay. are the top five states overall with the most comprehensive and strongest animal protection laws? Okay, I will give you the best five states, and I will begin with the state that was ranked number one. We have Illinois, Oregon, Maine, Colorado, and Massachusetts. Can you summarize or encapsulate what makes these states rank the highest? Yes, it's an overall look at the state rankings. It's how do they fare uh, with regard to other states in terms of uh, the five categories I've already talked to you about, as well as what are the penalties, what are the statute of limitations, is there cross enforcement or cross-reporting, meaning if you see animal cruelty, should a child welfare worker report it? And if an animal control officer sees child abuse, should they report it? Uh, We also take into consideration whether or not veterinarians are mandatory or permissive reporters of animal cruelty and whether the law gives them immunity for coming forward to indicate an an animal has been victimized. We look at law enforcement policies. We look at the the ability for law enforcement and humane officers to seize animals that have been the subject of cruelty or neglect. We look also at protection orders. Does that state have provisions where a judge can order that an animal be protected in a restraining order? And that's very valuable, particularly in the case of domestic violence cases. We look at restitution. We look at uh, forfeiture and possession bans as well, and mental health treatment and sentencing. That's just to name the key areas we look at, as well as the five I outlined earlier. A very useful part of the report is that for each of those five states, you list the existing strengths that they demonstrate, but also provide a list of potential improvements. And I think by laying out those areas for improvement can really be a useful tool for legislators to work from. Absolutely. And it sets forth with preciseness the areas that need improvement. And the other benefit you have at Animal Legal Defense Fund's website is you can look at the actual text of the laws related to the best states and the worst states. So the states that need improvement could look at the actual text of the laws in the states that fare the best. So congratulations to those five states, Illinois, Oregon, Maine, Colorado, and Massachusetts. Now let's talk about the bottom five states. Which states are those and how did they earn that distinction? Okay, I will start with the worst and work my way backwards. The worst state uh, is Kentucky, then Mississippi, Iowa, Wyoming, and New Mexico. So Kentucky has been at the bottom of your list for 12 consecutive years. Besides just scoring the lowest, what do you think's going on in Kentucky, Diane? Well, I must say in their defense, because I work closely with groups and individuals in Kentucky, this is not for a lack of trying by animal advocates. 
they have a very great group of individuals and uh, associations that are looking towards improving the laws, but it has been to no avail. So I want to give them that credit, mm-hmm. it's not for lack of trying. Uh, but it's clear, for example, one area that definitely needs improvement in Kentucky, it is against the law for a veterinarian to report animal cruelty without the permission of his or her client. So, so that's pretty uh, dramatic failing on their part. Wow. It's almost incomprehensible that a law like that could have been passed. Like, who would be in favor of making it against the law for a veterinarian to report animal cruelty without the permission of the abuser himself? That's absurd. Okay, so in addition to Kentucky, the other four lowest-ranking states are Mississippi, Iowa, New Mexico, and Wyoming. Diane, how did they earn that distinction? It's going to look at the definition of animal. It's going to look at what are the felony provisions. Does it cover sexual assault? Is there the ability for a court to enter a protective orders? Um, Is there ability to seize or forfeit animals before the individual is convicted, etc.? Diane, any other notable findings or concluding thoughts for our listeners? I actually just think it's really exciting as we measure the trends in improving animal welfare. And each year, the laws get better and better, and animals are protected more and farther, and it's more inclusive. Where can people view this report? They can go to Animal Legal Defense website, www.aldf.org. At the moment, it's actually on the front, uh, the opening page, and you can just click on the rankings report. Or in the search engine, you can put uh, 2018 rankings, and it will come up. And it's interactive, so you can click on your own state on the map to have that report come front and forward. Plus, you can download the report in its entirety. Diane Balcom, thank you for explaining this information to us. Thank you, Dr. Laurie. Don't go away. More with Animals Today right after the break. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today. Most people know that chocolate is dangerous for dogs and cats to eat. But did you know that coffee and tea are dangerous for pets too? There are many foods you should not let your pet eat, like onion, garlic, yeast dough, and even avocado. Grapes and raisins are especially toxic to dogs too. Even certain plants and flowers can be toxic or deadly to pets. Cats should not be allowed to eat lilies, daffodils, tulips, or sago palm. And make sure your dogs do not eat azalea, lilies, or sago either. Another danger area, especially with dogs, is eating medicine meant for people. So make sure pills are out of your pet's reach and in safe containers. And of course, leftover bones can crack and cause choking. So don't give bones to dogs. Remember these pet safety tips to keep your pets healthy and happy all year round. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Thank you for listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals, now in our 11th year of consecutive weekly broadcasts. Animals Today is brought to you by the Animal Welfare Organization, Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org and consider making a donation to help support the show. That's aianimals.org. 
and thank you for your interest and your support. Welcome back to Animals Today. Peter. Yes, Lori. Hello. March 14th is Learn About Butterflies Day. Mm. We've never talked about butterflies on Animals Today. So we're going to discuss some really cool facts about the butterfly and incorporate a quiz into these fascinating butterfly facts. (laughs) Okay, so you ready? I'm ready. Butterflies, as you know, are these beautiful, brightly colored flying insects with two pairs of large wings that vary in color and pattern depending on the species. Peter, true or false? The wings are transparent. That is false. Wrong. (laughs) The wings are actually clear. The colors and patterns we see are made by the reflection of the tiny scales covering them. Doesn't make sense, but okay. Just because it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it's false. I know. True or false, butterflies range in size from a tiny one-eighth of an inch to a huge almost 12 inches. I'm going to say that's true. It is true. Mm. Isn't that incredible? Yep. Imagine a 12-inch Right, landing on your shoulder. Oh, my God. Oh, don't. Hi. (laughs) With the exception of a few specific species, an adult butterfly has a very short life, just three to four weeks. Peter, true or false, butterflies can fly in all temperatures. In all temperatures? I'm going to say that's false. It is false. Butterflies need an ideal body temperature of about 85 degrees Fahrenheit to fly. Since they're cold-blooded animals, they can't regulate their own body temperature. The surrounding air temperature has a big impact on their ability to function. Mm -hmm. So if the air temperature falls below 55 degrees Fahrenheit, butterflies are rendered immobile, unable to flee from predators or feed. When air temperatures range between 82 degrees and 100 degrees, butterflies can fly with ease. Mm. True or false, adult butterflies feed primarily on other insects. I'm going to say that's true. That's false. Uh, adult butterflies can only feed on liquids, usually oh, nectar. Oh, yeah. Their mouth parts are modified to enable them to drink, but they can't chew solids. Butterflies have a long tube-like tongue called a proboscis that allows them to soak up their food. One of its first jobs as an adult butterfly is to assemble its mouth parts. You may see a newly emerged butterfly curling and uncurling the proboscis over and over, testing it out. Oh, that's neat. Isn't that cool? Yeah. True or false? Butterflies taste with this tube-like tongue, the proboscis. Mmm, that sounds like false to me. It is false. Ah. Butterflies taste with their feet. Oh, wow. Butterflies have taste receptors on their feet. A female butterfly lands on different plants drumming the leaves with her feet until the plant releases its juices. Spines on the back of her legs have chemoreceptors that detect the right match of plant chemicals. When she identifies the right plant, she lays her eggs. So after mating, the female butterfly lays her eggs on a caterpillar food or, quote, host plant. The eggs can hatch when the conditions are just right, and caterpillars can start eating their host plant right away. Peter, the process by which a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly is called Mm. what? That is metamorphosis. Yeah, you remember your biology. Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is completed in about 10 to 15 days, depending on the species. A group of butterflies is sometimes called what? A herd, a flutter, a pack, or a litter? Oh, I 
Total guest flutter. It's flutter. Yeah. A litter of butterflies. That would be weird. (laughs) I had to think of something. (laughs) Peter, you and I being ophthalmologists, we know that a normal human eye has one natural lens in it, right? Yep. Butterflies' eyes are made of how many lenses? Oh, like a compound lens, maybe. I'm going to say a thousand lenses. One, Mm -hmm. ten, 160, or 6,000? Oh, 6,000. It is 6,000 lenses. That is so cool. Yeah, 6,000 lenses and can see ultraviolet light. There are about 17,500 species of butterflies spread throughout almost the entire world. Butterflies are found on every continent. Except? Except? Except Antarctica? Yes. Okay, well, it's cold there. Yeah, they can't, very good. Wouldn't, wouldn't work okay, out Okay, so you're well. a pretty smart guy. Okay. Yeah, so many species migrate to avoid adverse conditions like the cold, right? Most migrate relatively short distances, but monarchs and several other species migrate thousands of miles. With respect to the monarch butterfly, they are the only insect that migrates an average of 2,500 miles to find a warmer climate. Well, that's really fascinating. You don't think of the movement of a butterfly as being so efficient that it can get you very far. It's interesting. Butterfly wings move in a figure eight motion. Butterflies flap all its wings at the same time at about five beats per second. So the defense mechanisms of the butterfly, well, there are a few ways they defend themselves from predators. One method is disguise or called cryptic Coloration, where the butterfly has the ability to look like a leaf or blend into the bark of a tree to hide from predators. Mm -hmm. Another method is chemical defense, where the butterfly has evolved to have toxic chemicals in its body. These species of butterflies are often brightly colored, and predators have learned over time to associate their bright color with the bad taste of the chemicals. Well, the greatest threats to butterflies are habitat change and loss due to residential, commercial, and agricultural development. Mm -hmm. And there you go, Peter. March 14th, learn about Butterflies Day. Okay, I learned about butterflies. I needed that. Thank you. Okay, what do you got there? Well, it's sort of uh, semi-saliva related. (laughs) It's a nice uh, story. In Santa Monica, a firefighter recently saved a dog using so-called mouth-to-snout resuscitation. This uh, this uh, Bichon mixed dog, 10 years old, was uh, found unresponsive by firefighter Andrew Klein during an apartment fire in Santa Monica. The dog was not breathing and did not have a pulse, according to the fire captain. The firefighter said, I just grabbed him. He knew he was unresponsive and decided he just needed to bring him back. He used mouth to snout CPR and they also gave supplemental oxygen it took 20 minutes for the dog to begin breathing on his own again and the but dog wow, ended up fine that's so great it was really a, it's a great story and yes it's a great story there are some details that are not included here for instance whether chest compressions were given because earlier in the story they do say he did not have a pulse so usually you'd want to lay the dog on the side and give chest compressions and also do the breathing and i also read that in mouth to snout if the dog is a larger dog then you close the mouth and you just breathe through the nose and in a smaller dog you just put your mouth over the nose and the dog's mouth and breathe for them. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. And similar to human resuscitation, first thing you need to do is what? You need to, you know, check the pulse, check the respirations, and then see if the airway is clear. And then if you think there's an obstruction, you do a doggy Heimlich. 
by coming behind the dog and lifting the dog up and just, you know, doing a heim, doggy Heimlich. Yeah. You know, pet owners really should refine their CPR for their animals, shouldn't they? They give courses on this. Yeah. And I bet you just going online, you can get a good feeling of what's going on here. Right. So thanks to uh, Andrew Klein saving that dog. The dog guardian said, I am just so grateful. Well, thanks so much for bringing that subject up, Peter. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet the animals.